I live my life. I want a better world. I have a, a feeling that the Jews have something to do with it. What do we do next? What is the solution? I, I, I would just like to say that the, the church, the Catholic church was in this position when the Roman Empire collapsed. They realized that the Jews were not going to go away. They were not going to convert. They had to have some type of modus vivendi with the Jews. And the answer to this was a, a doctrine called Secret Judaeus Non. That was uh, basically the teaching of the church on the Jews for 1,500 years. On the one hand, no one has the right to harm the Jew. No one has a right to disrupt the Jews' religious services. No one has a right to desecrate the sem uh, Jewish cemeteries. On the other hand, the Jew has to respect the culture of uh, Christian countries and does not have a license to destroy their culture, to ridicule your faith and undermine their morals. Okay, This was a more or less successful modus vivendi that lasted for 1,500 years. First of all, I, I completely agree with, um, with my friend, Mike, and um, I w would like to see a great revolution happening among Jews, and you're right, they should forget about Hollywood and, and other dirty businesses that they're dealing with and, and engaged in. I agree with him in that respect that this isn't the right path, and the world suffers from it, and Jews themselves. There has been precedent. The Catholic Church has had a long track record of dealing with a Jewish minority in a Christian culture. And the name of that precedent is called Secret Judaeus Non. And basically, no one has the right to harm the Jew, but on the other hand, the Jew does not have the right to corrupt your culture. That's a modus vivendi, I think, that needs to be brought back, and we need to have that discussion again. I love the Jews. And why do you love the Jews? I love the Jews because they are my enemy. And Jesus Christ said you should love your enemy. So how do you love your enemy? Well, you, you stand up to him and you say what you're doing is wrong. Okay, I'm not going to go along with it anymore. It's wrong. It's, it is pornography. It is usury. It is gay marriage. These are all bad things. And I'm sorry, we're not going to go along with it anymore. And that's my expression of love. And I'm, I'm be honest with you, a lot of Jews have converted uh, because of what I said. Okay, so I'm just saying, I'm doing you a favor. You should, you should love me back. <laughs> You're great. Don't call me an anti-Semite because I'm, because I'm standing up for the truth and trying to help you. But I'm glad you do these interviews and come on and you're willing to speak to, you know, to Jews and, and debate and have disputations that I think the disputations are very important and thank the disputations are... Thank you for talking to me. I said before on that video about the Pittsburgh shootings, this is, we need to talk about these things because if you ban discourse on the internet, you're going to provoke violence. That's, that's for sure. So thank you for talking to me. Thank you for this discussion. Every single time I have talked on this topic, I have always said that my position is the position of the Catholic Church, the classical position, which is secret Judeus non, which means says no one has the right to harm the Jew. Okay. All of that goes out the window now. Okay. And now because of this shooting, now uh, because of my interpretation of secret Judeus non, I am spreading hatred to Jews and I am responsible for that killing. Now, I, this is unfair. This Tell is unfair. 
And the first principle of secret Judaism is no one has the right to harm the Jew. Okay, so for 10 years, I have been saying no one has the right to harm the Jew. And I've been censored, which means that I cannot reach people like this guy with the guns, this, this, this disturbed Marine veteran, and tell him no one has the right to harm the Jew. So I said, look, the ADL, you're responsible for the violence here. You're responsible, first of all, because you're censoring people like me. But secondly, you're responsible because of the lessons the Jews have been teaching everyone by this, by this abominable behavior to the, toward the Palestinians. Now, I said, look, if what they are doing, what the Jews, what the Israelis did is, is permissible, if that's okay, why is what this man did in Pittsburgh wrong? You can't have it both ways. If you're going to teach bloody instructions, as Shakespeare said, you better wait and don't be surprised when the chickens come home to roost and people in this violent culture pick up guns and start shooting people in synagogues. If Israel cannot get along with its neighbors, that's their problem, not my problem, not our problem. Okay. If they didn't have the United States and its military might backing them, maybe they would be more civilized. Maybe they'd behave in a more civilized fashion and wouldn't gun down innocent women and children uh, uh, when they marched to the wall, which is what they did a year ago. I was just on uh, Red Ice Radio, and I'm talking about this to Hedrick, and, and suddenly he flashes it up, and there are those pictures. Damn it. I mean, there's the guy. He's running away, and he's getting shot in the back by an Israeli sniper. In Gaza last summer, more than 2,000 Palestinians, mostly civilians, were killed. Over 11,000 were injured, and entire neighborhoods virtually wiped off the map. For months, disturbing questions have been raised about what really happened when Israel launched its attack. If you send soldiers with rules of engagement that anyone in the area, in the zone where you enter, is a legitimate target and he doesn't have to pose a threat to you, the fact that he's there is the threat, you cannot say you've done everything to avoid civilian casualties. Now, an unprecedented report has laid bare shocking allegations about the indiscriminate use of force, allegations leveled by the very soldiers who were right there on the front lines. The commission has found reasonable grounds to believe that Israeli security forces committed serious violations of human rights and international humanitarian law. We found that 189 Palestinians were killed, 183 of them with live ammunition, and this included children, people with disabilities, journalists and paramedics. We also found that 6,106 people were injured uh, by Israeli snipers shooting at protesters with live ammunition. By the end of the year, 122 of these people had suffered amputations. These included 20 children. We're clear, there's no justification for the killing of children. The vast majority of demonstrators were not involved in any form of violence. Uh, there were women and children present. There were people having poetry readings, playing music, um, waving flags, things that can't in any way be considered to be violent. So I think the characterization of 
all the demonstrators as violent, we wouldn't agree with. We are saying that they have intentionally shot children, they've intentionally shot people with disabilities, um, they've intentionally shot journalists, knowing them to be children, people with disabilities and journalists. A country that occupies another people for more than 40 years, and this allows them the most elementary civic and human rights, cannot be a democracy. Israel uh, is only a democracy for one group. We, given the, the space that Israel now controls, is not even a, ma a majority group anymore. So I think you will find it very hard to use any known definitions of democracy which would be applicable for the Israeli case. What in the world is going on? Israel's security problem on its border is 50 miles to the south. What's an Israeli army doing here in Beirut? The answer is that we are now dealing with an imperial Israel, which is solving its problems in someone else's country. World opinion be damned. Colin Powell's emails were recently leaked. Powell acknowledges Israel's nuclear arsenal. We know Israel has nuclear weapons. Israel's got enough conventional military power to defeat any foe or combination of foes. I believe that there is no existential threat to Israel from anybody in the world, including the Iranians. Israel has committed very, very serious international crimes. Israel's crimes are infinitely worse than those committed by the apartheid regime of South Africa. Well, this is outrageous. This is an outrageous affront at the moral consciousness of the entire planet. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying, what I'm saying here is, you're teaching bloody instructions. So if you do that, uh, don't be surprised when somebody picks up a gun in Poway, California, or in Pittsburgh and guns down people in a synagogue. Yeah. Because you're preaching the violence is the solution to any problem. And if you're justified in doing that to Palestinians, why is this guy not justified in doing it to Jews? Tell me that. Explain that to me. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, I love the Jews. Why do I love the Jews? Because they are enemies of the entire human race. And I'm told that I have to love my enemy. What have I said repeatedly? You must have seen me say it at least 10 times. You say that the church's official teaching is that no one has a right to harm the Jew, right? You're absolutely right. And for 10 years, the ADL has been calling me an anti-Semite because I'm saying no one has the right to harm the Jew. How about instead you say, um, <laughs> I'm just going to be like, why don't you say this? Why don't you say Jesus said love our enemies? And so even if they are our enemies, it doesn't really matter. I mean, it matters. But... Of course it matters. <laughs> Let's put it this way. But we still because have to love them, right? They are, I've already said that. I already, I've said that many times. Maybe not as many times as don't harm the Jew and seek what you day is known, but I've said it many times. Welcome to another episode of EMJ Live uh, from South Bend, Indiana. If you noticed at the beginning of that video, that handsome young man with not a gray hair in his head, uh, you know how long I have been say, preaching this gospel of no one has the right to harm the Jew. Uh, that, that I had been doing it for a long time before that video was taken, okay? Let me say one thing at the outset. I did not make this video. Someone else made it. I don't know who made it. It's obvious that they made it in light of what is happening in Gaza right now. Okay. It's obvious that I was saying this 10, 15 years ago. Okay. You know what the most obvious thing is? 
the Jews did not listen to what I was saying. Why is this video made now? I think it's starting, hey, that guy, that handsome guy with all that dark hair on his head, maybe that's a better solution. Maybe we should have listened to that goy. Maybe we shouldn't have called him an anti-Semite back then because what he was proposing was reasonable. And it was reasonable for 1,500 years, uh, which is how long the Catholic Church implemented it in Europe. And those weren't bad years, certainly not compared to what we're going through now. Certainly not compared to the 20th century, what happened in the 20th century. Okay? And nobody listened. Nobody listened. Well, that's not true. I was talking to Jews. Those Jews invited me on their program. They thought what I was saying was rational. So it's not all Jews. I have to again say there's a difference between the Jews and all Jews. Okay? They're not the same thing. The Jews is the ADL. It's the major Jewish organizations. It's the big Jews who turn the little Jews into human shields and proxy warriors to advance their agenda at their, the little Jews' expense. And now what we're seeing is that coming true. Okay, what I said 10, 15 years ago. Who were the hostages at the, uh, at the rave? They were Jews. It was a rave in the desert and suddenly uh, the uh, Al-Aqsa flood breaks out and the uh, Hamas is there at the rave. And it was the Israeli tanks that killed all those Jews. It was the Israeli Air Force when those people got in their cars and they tried to get away from the danger. It was the Israeli Air, Air Force that killed them all. And then they assemble it, all these wrecked cars, all these burned corpses inside the cars, and they say, see what Hamas did? Well, they're liars. We now, though, even the Israelis are coming forth and telling us that the Israelis lied. Or let's, let's get again, let's get specific, that the Israeli propaganda ministry lied about all of these atrocities. Oh, remember the 40 babies uh, uh, who were decapitated? Oh, that was a lie. Okay, it's nothing but lies. And what you see here are a group of people who never apologize, never say they're wrong. If you criticize a Jew, you are an anti-Semite. And they immediately call you that and they immediately wrap themselves in this mantle of self-righteousness and they double down. And they kill twice as many innocent civilians as they did a week before. That's the way the Jews react. The Jews, remember, not all Jews, the Jews. That's the way the Jews react. And now uh, those chickens are coming home to roost. Now they've got the entire world uh, enraged at them, except for, now I don't mean everybody, the United States, Israel, Micronesia, and of course the ultimate shithole country, Nauru. They are supporting the United States. The rest of the world has turned against Israel because Israel is violating fundamental moral laws in a way everyone finds repugnant. They have proven that what St. Paul said is right. The Jews are the people who have killed Christ and they are enemies of the entire human race. And now 
that what I said before, they teach bloody instructions and now they're coming home and now the war is expanding and expanding and expanding. So now uh, we've got this. So whoever did it, I want to thank you for that. Okay, thank you for doing it because it brought it up to date because uh, that's exactly what they did. All the stuff you saw originally there was, I don't know, it was cast lead. It was one of the many incursions into Gaza. And now it's been updated by the worst incursion into Gaza. And now they're in front of this uh, uh, world court in The Hague and they've refused to throw out the case, uh, which is what the Israelis demanded. And they're saying, no, we're not going to throw out this case. There is a prima facie case of genocide against you. So leave it to me to bring everyone together. So now the big surprise is that the Nazis don't like me. I knew the Jews didn't like me, but now it turns out that the Nazis don't like me either. What do the, what do the, the Jews, again, the Jews and the Nazis, what do they have in common? They hate Catholics. It's that simple. What's a white boy? A white boy is a Protestant who doesn't go to church anymore uh, unless you're Jim Goad and then you're, it's a Catholic who doesn't go to church anymore. And why don't you go to church anymore? Because you want to screw whomever you want. Let's get down to the bottom line here. That is the net result of the sexual revolution that the Jews spread throughout this world. And so it wasn't different at the time of uh, Hitler either. Thanks to the testimony of people like Father Lentz, Father Kentonich, and Father Fitkow. Okay, so pushback. Jim Brizzoli says, I said he doesn't read. I was ready to apologize, but then I called Gemma and he said, well, yeah, he did say that. He said that he has brother read the Holocaust narrative for him. Uh, and then he said, I called him a Nazi. Well, I never called him a Nazi. If, as if by that you mean that he's a member of the Nazi party, which ceased to exist about 80 years ago. No, I didn't do that. I said he was giving the Nazi narrative, which is basically that those priests in Dachau deserve to be there. This is a classic example of blaming the victim. So when I challenged him, he said, oh, that's when he said it. Well, I don't have footnotes. I don't read. I can't. So he didn't send me anything. But then a uh, man from Australia jumped in at this point and sent me an email. And I, because he listed sources, I took them seriously. And so one of the sources was uh, this uh, report in a newspaper in Zaxen or something like that about this Institute for Biblical Research. And it turns out that it's he's talking about Mormons. Uh, and then it says mentions to in the what in the, the this uh, same article a ten year old married man. At that point, I wrote back to him and I said, uh, you know, I, there's probably a mis a bad translation here. So send me something in the original. And then he sent me something uh, a Gestapo report on Father Lenz, uh, which was full of all sorts of accusations. Okay, I agree with you. There are all kinds of accusations in that against Father Lenz, but why should I accept the Gestapo's word? Over Lenz's word. Well, I got no answer to that. Now he's mad at me. Okay. The white boys are mad at me. Okay. Uh, and so I'm going to broaden it. Uh, I bring in Father Kentonich. His whole story, same story. Uh, arrested by the Gestapo. Priest arrested by the Gestapo. Uh, well, what's the accusation? Kentonich was one of them. Head of the Schoenstatt movement. 
I get an email from a guy in Texas who said he was a heretic. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Who's this guy in Texas? What What are you saying? You, it's, it's the same thing we've dealt with with the Jews. There is a fundamental similarity between Jew boys and white boys, okay? They both hate the Catholic Church, okay? So what are we saying about here? He's a, he's a heretic? Well, I've told you for years now, the, if you want to know whether uh, the, the, the group that determines whether I am a Catholic in good standing is the ADL. And sadly, a lot of Catholics go along with this, okay? Well, we've got the same thing with the Nazis. It's the Nazis who determine whether this priest at the time of the uh, of the World War II was a Catholic in good standing. Here's some boy from Texas telling me he was a heretic. Well, says who? The Nazis said he was a heretic? So anyway, I look into the case because the guy from Australia did send me the link. And so I'm looking into, no, no, I, I looked into that. The, I look into the Kentonick story, okay? Uh, Kentonick ended up in um, Dachau. He's there with Father Lentz. They're both there together. They're both telling their story. You mean that they both made it up? They both made this story up? And uh, part of the story uh, with Kentonick is they finally, after the war, got access to the Gestapo archives in in uh, Koblenz. They were they were all from Koblenz. And what did they say? Did they say Kentonick was a a commie? No. They said that these people were holding retreats. And the retreats were Catholic retreats at a time when the Nazis wanted total control over the educational system in Germany. And that's why they ended up in jail. There's not one word in that Gestapo report about communist activity or anything like that. And so I brought this up uh, to these guys, to the white boys, I mentioned uh, Heinrich Bruni. He was chancellor of Germany at the time when the Concordat was passed. He was instrumental in the passing of the Concordat. He was chancellor in Germany. And he said the main problem was that uh, the Nazis determined who violated the Concordat. There was no due process here. No due process if the Gestapo said you were violating the Concordat. You were guilty as charged. They were judge, jury, and executioner. So uh, this is my great achievement. I have brought the Jews and the white boys together in their uh, dislike of me. So you're welcome, guys. Let's hear what you have to say. All right. Hello there once again. Uh, this is Mike Bajakis, Dr. Jones' assistant. A uh, quick Rules for those who are new to our program here. Uh, this is the call-in section of the show. Call-ins are made via our Telegram channel. Uh, link is in the description for people watching here, there, and everywhere. In Telegram, I'll call on those who raise their hands, and then later in the stream, we'll read off uh, text questions from the various chats, from the various live streams we have going. Um, quick uh, uh, rules here. Try to keep questions on subject. Try to keep the one question at a time. Be respectful of everyone's time, and do not forget to unmute yourself. Okay, jump into the chat now. Who do we got first? Let's see, Universum. Go ahead, Universum. 
don't forget to unmute yourself. Oops, it's been a while since I've called and forgot the old mute button. Good to talk to you, Dr. Jones. Good to hear from you. I was wondering, what do you think the the purpose of, of DNA is? Purpose of DNA? It's to transmit. Yeah, because often trans we talk about trans the trans DNA. Oh. Tr transmit characteristics, human characteristics, the characteristics of the, the mother and the father. It's a code that carries that information into the next generation. It's the organizing. It's I like see, the, the grammar, the grammar of biology, the grammar of our bio, biological being. And do you think this has any um, implications in regards to like evolution? No, e evolution is. It depends on what you mean. If you're talking about Darwin, it doesn't. It doesn't happen. It's a fraud. It's a hoax. Read the chapter on the four atheists in uh, Logos Rising, and you'll understand why I say that. Okay, okay, thanks. Yeah, I just wondered, I thought that was a... Um, no, that, no that, that, the, fundamental, the fundamental issue with evolution uh, was solved by Parmenides uh, thousands, uh, you know, way a long time ago. Okay, that which is cannot come from that which is not. It's that simple. And the fact of the matter is that Every one of those guys, Christopher Hitchens, uh, all of the Dawkins, they all try to fudge that crucial distinction. And so Christopher Hitchens says, well, at the beginning, it had light-sensitive cells, whatever it was, and these evolved into the eye. Well, Christopher, uh, those light-sensitive cells, either they could see, in which case there are already an eye, or they cannot see, in which case they can never be an eye. It's that simple, okay? But read Logos Rising. Please, again, let me let me explain to you. Everything I'm saying is backed up in a book somewhere. And if I know it's not backed up by a book, I'm very be getting trouble for saying it. But it's better to read the book than it is to 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 listen to me uh, shooting my mouth off. Anyway, thank you for your question. Thank you. Let's go. Uh, I, I I is Ravi there? Put, put Ravi on. Uh, which one? Right there. It's right there. Ravi. Where? Where is it? You just went over it. Wait a minute. Am I? Which one is nope. Which sorry. One? My mistake. All right. Go ahead. You pick one. All right. Uh, let's go to uh, Chad. Go ahead, Mr. Chad. And don't forget to unmute yourself. Hello, Dr. Jones. Can you hear me? I can. Hi, good afternoon. Uh, just kind of wanted to ask, like, um, your your opinion on this. Um, so there's this one person um, that I'm friends with who recently kind of started looking more into the Palestinian-Israeli conflict and has become very, like, very aggressive against Zionism. But the thing is, though, is that they never want to connect it to Judaism, and they believe that that they're both very that they're both separate things but from my understanding they're not really separate like zionism stems from judaism like am i is that a correct thing to say yeah. or would you say yeah. that, that zionism and judaism are different yeah so what you go back to your friends and say did you know that israelis are jews did you know that i i didn't know that oh gosh of course they're related it goes back to the pale of the settlement, the shtetl, the 19th century, the western border of Russia. And the Enlightenment sweeps through the Jewish shtetl, uh, controlled by rabbis. 
and suddenly there are two groups that form. There's Jewish internationalism, which is known as communism, and there's Jewish nationalism, which is known as Zionism. They are both Jewish ideologies. And if you don't get this straight, you're always going to be dealing with a category mistake. And the America is full of people that make that category mistake. I've told you before, Oklahoma, Indiana, you name it, the middle states in the middle of the country, they have these Christian Zionist churches, and they uh, don't, you say to them, did you know abortion is a fundamental Jewish value? Yes, abortion's bad. Uh, are you for Zionism? Yes, we are for Zionism. Well, that's a contradiction. It's the same group of people. It's not the same exact people. It's the same group of people. It's called the Jews, okay? That political entity is both pro-abortion and pro-murder of Palestinian children. So we, unless you use the proper terms, you're never going to be able to make that connection. Right, yeah, because um, one of the things I was showing um, this friend of mine or trying to explain to them is like, look, like in their in their, you know, quote-unquote religious text, um, or more like quote-unquote holy text, uh, it, says, like, it, it says it very clear, like, we are, we are not the same as Jews. It says we are goy. It says we are animal. It says we are below them. So when you understand that, like, like, you shouldn't be surprised when you see Israelis, like, brutally murdering, you know, Palestinians. No. Like, I feel like that makes sense, you no. know, like, when you understand that connection. But no. this person is kind of very... They're, I think I think they're just afraid of the the term anti-Semite, and I keep trying to tell them like, look, like that's that's a meaningless term at at this point. Like that's not that shouldn't be something. No. Like if you're gonna go all out against Zionism, you shouldn't like you shouldn't be afraid of the term anti-Semite. No, anti-Semitism means anything Jews don't like. The Jews don't like. I keep this clarification in mind. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Right. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you, Chad. Let's go to our boy Lloyd. Always like hearing from Lloyd. Go ahead, Lloyd. Hi, Mark. How are you going? Good, Lloyd. Good to hear from you. Yeah. Yeah. So I've just got a um, just just sort of a, an observation. I think when people look at history, they see it in a very simplistic way. You know, Nazis bad, allies good. And I think a lot of the things you're talking about is actually raising people's consciousness, and they're realizing there's a lot more detail and subtlety about what really happened and when you really unpack it all you get a deeper understanding i know listening to um benjamin friedman's talks about you know what were the precursors to world war ii etc and the more people know about it the more they can have a deeper understanding of history and a, a deeper understanding of what's happening now that's my comment i think you're right i think you're right and that's precisely what i'm what i'm trying to do i'm trying to come up with the real history of what's going on and the real history uh, it means that the war did not end uh, in uh, May of 1945. It continued under different, uh, uh, different means, uh, major mean being uh, ethnic cleansing and uh, psychological warfare. That's the unhit, unwritten story. Uh, that's what I'm trying to, trying to say right now. Unless you put the real players together, you're not going to come to the right conclusion. It's that simple. These people have been deprived. These people, all of us, have been deprived of a history of the United of what happened during the war. Ask anyone in Australia who Henry Morgenthau was. I would wager if you asked a thousand people, one may know who Henry Morgenthau was, the Secretary of Treasury under Roosevelt, a crucial figure in this thing. 
Ask anyone in Germany, they will all say, oh yeah, I know who Henry Morgenthau was. It's in the history book. Do you know the connection between uh, Morgenthau, the Morgenthau plan and what followed? Do you, uh, there's one lady who does, it's uh, Princess Gloria von Torn und Taxis. She knows her history and she said, uh, the what the Greens are doing right now is the continuation of the Morgenthau plan. This we won't we don't know what's going on unless we can use terms like this, and that's why I wrote the Holocaust narrative so that we can have some clear understanding that it's not uh, the gospel according to Spielberg, or it's not the gospel according to any of those people I named in the in the Holocaust narrative. That there was a Catholic element to what was going on, and we've been we Catholics have been deprived of that history. Yes, I agree. And I think with all the tyranny being waged against the Germans at the moment, I think they're starting to wake up. Well, that's my prayer. Mine too. Thank you. You're welcome. Moving on here. Let's go to, where was it? Frank Carmel. Go ahead, Frank. Hi, Dr. Jones. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. Thank you. Um, so I, Thank you for bringing up the uh, the recent or today's uh, decision by the international. Uh, what is it? Criminal? What is it? International Court of Justice. Court of Justice. Right? Yes. Right. And um, I wonder if you would agree that what ha the decision that they came up with is, let's say, it's a compromise, or I think it was probably influenced by the U.S. You know, some sort of politics. Because they rejected the um, the, prop, the, the proposition by South Africa to have a, a ceasefire, and instead they they called for uh, uh, just I don't know how would you characterize what they called for? I didn't know they called for anything. Uh, all, 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 yeah, well, all all I know about it is that they refused to dismiss the case at uh, Israel's bidding. Uh, if you're asking me, yeah. if you're asking me about a ceasefire, as far as I heard, Hamas does not want a ceasefire now. What what happens here is it the the situation escalates, and it's going to escalate uh, to the disadvantage of Israel the longer it goes on. Just two days two days ago, I believe, twenty four Israeli soldiers died in an attack, an ambush that was staged by Hamas in what was supposedly uh, pacified or conquered to is con territory the Israelis had conquered. That's not going to change. Uh, it, it, I hope that we can resolve this soon because the, the Israelis are preventing food and water from coming in. Innocent people are suffering. We, we have to resolve this because if we don't resolve it, there is no, uh, there's no such thing as international law. There's no such thing as the moral law because there's always one exception, which is the Jews who could do whatever they want and never get punished for what they do. Yeah, exactly, and and, and it's it's just um, a failing of the of the well of the United Nations system of the whole international uh, law system, and and you know I think the the court had to come up uh, with with a decision affirming. That that Israel was committing uh, genocide, uh, but at the same time they didn't make any definitive statement saying, you know, you have to do this or you have to do that. So, so okay. thank you very much. Thank you. Next we have Tommy French. 
Go ahead, Tommy French. Hey, uh, Dr. Jones, how are you today? Good. Um, I live in uh, Los Angeles, California, and um, I, you know, I, I, I have a lot of friends who are Jewish, Israeli, and I've always had this sense that um, they, they weren't so patriotic as far as America goes, and, um, you know, much more patriotic towards Israel. And um, I was driving down Ventura Boulevard yesterday, and there was a gentleman who was flying a huge Israeli flag. And he um, he had um, Israel is not asking for a ceasefire, um, you know, written with shoe polish on his window. And, you know, I just kind of wondered if he would ever be so proud to wave an American flag like that. And I I don't think the answer is yes. Um, anyway, I just wanted to get your opinion on on dual citizenship and and loyalty to the United States. Yeah. Yeah, Joe, Joe Sober used to say dual loyalty would be an improvement. Uh, dual loyalty implies that they have some loyalty to the United States of America. Uh, and if you want to hear the opposite, uh, listen to Jonathan Pollard. Listen to what Jonathan Pollard said after he got back. The greatest traitor in the history of the United States of America. They wanted to lock him up and throw away the key. The military was in unanimous in that verdict. And Donald Trump comes along and lets him off. Sheldon Adelson's plane picks him up. Sheldon Adelson, the big backer of Donald Trump, picks him up, takes him to Israel. The man at the on the tarmac waiting for him is Benjamin Netanyahu, who welcomes as some type of conquering hero. One week later, he gives a speech in which he says, Jews have a duty to betray the country they live in. Now, this is exactly what I was talking about with Secret Judeus Non. No country can tolerate a minority that believes this. No country. And so don't be surprised if you get expelled from a country, which they've already have, if you have this attitude. And don't think that it's going unnoticed. Don't The violence is building. Do you know why the violence is building? Because you can't talk to these people. And these people are the Jews. And the leader of the Jews, or one of the leaders, main leaders, is the ADL, who uses them, spreads fear among the Jews, so that they follow the party line and go and never back down and never apologize. And this leads to violence. If you prevent speech, you create violence. Who is the main banner of speech in the world? It's the ADL. They are responsible for this violence. They are responsible for the fact that I couldn't reach that guy, that ex-Marine, with his guns. They are the main exporters of violence. Everyone knows that they're, what they're doing in Gaza, and you expect that it's not going to have. There's be no blowback? You're crazy. And this is precisely the craziness of the Jews that comes from their rebellion against Logos. And it ends up, it always ends up badly. A Masada moment. Okay, it always ends up badly. So it's time to start listening to what people are saying and maybe admitting the fact you may be wrong. And you may have to apologize for what you're doing instead of calling everyone who brings this to your attention an anti-Semite. Thank you, Dr. Jones. You're welcome. All right. Uh, next, we have Based Poland. Uh, go ahead, Based Poland. Hi, Dr. Jones. Uh, it's a pleasure. I just wanted to ask a quick question uh, about something you brought up on last week's shows, which was uh, first 
uh, fake Jewish converts and how it's encouraged by rabbis. Uh, being from Poland, we kind of knew this about this anecdotally. You know, we had Ashkenazi for centuries. But is there any specific uh, reference or any lit literature you could point to that talks about this that I could reference to uh, show people here that don't believe that actually happens? Yeah, the Jewish revolutionary spirit. There's a chapter on the Converso crisis in Spain. That was the main uh, focus of the Converso crisis. That's where it really came into being. That's where I cite the whole business of the rabbis encouraging false conversion and so on and so forth. So read that. Now, there is a Polish translation of the Jewish revolutionary spirit, and I have to say it's not a particularly good translation. It's about one quarter of the book. So I, I hope that the, the chapter on the Converso crisis is in the Polish edition. It's a griad e kriz. It's like the, the star and the cross. I think that's the title of it in Polish. I think it's still available. Uh, if it's not in there, then you're going to have to go to the America, uh, the English edition, which has the chapter on the Converso crisis. Well, so mainly for English speakers, but thanks. You're welcome. All right. Let's go to, let's see, Eric Porter. Go ahead, Eric. Oh, hey, Dr. Jones. What an honor it is to speak to you. Thank you. Um, I um, I actually have the same heritage as you. I'm uh, half German and I'm half an undetermined amount of Irish English. Um, and I actually go to Germany every summer, uh, but my German language skills are not as good as yours. Um, so you often say that if it weren't uh, for the Catholics, the Germans would still be hunting pigs in the forest. If this were true, can we assume that if it weren't for Martin Luther, the Catholics would still be able to buy their way into heaven? <laughs> <laughs> First of all, that is complete uh, Protestant propaganda. Uh, no, it wouldn't be the case. And it was used to cover, look, I, I deal with this uh, in where it's appropriate, which is in the book on capitalism. This was a, an issue of capitalism. It really wasn't theological. And it was basically Luther and the as the mouthpiece of the lower uh, nobility, people like Ulrich von Hutten, who were simply shoved aside by the emerging uh, merchant class, like the Fuggers. And they, uh, they felt that the gold was draining down into uh, Rome. Uh, and the Fuggers were collecting the uh, indulgence money. That's true. They did collect money for indulgences. Uh, indulgence... Uh, so what is an indulgence? It's the remission of temporal punishment due to sin. So you were already going to heaven. because uh, you, what, you, what you paid for, and there's probably not the best way to do it, but what you paid for was to spend less time in purgatory than you would if you hadn't had an indulgence. So no one was able to buy their way into heaven. Okay? You had to earn your way into heaven uh, the, the only way to get there, which was by leading a good life. And God, knowing that we all fail, created purgatory so that you would uh, purge away the, the results of those sins. Purgatory, uh, it does not forgive sins. It purges away the, the residue of the sin for which you have to do penance. So does that clarify the issue for you? It does. It was a lighthearted question, but, uh, you know, so thank you for actually taking it seriously and, and uh, explaining it in a, in a uh, reasonable manner. So you're welcome. Dankeschön. Thank you. Tschüss.
Tschüss. All right. Uh, we're going to do one or two more questions here, and then we're going to jump to the chat. So you guys start asking questions, Rumble, Cozy, everywhere else. Okay. Where was it? Uh, Jews stay killing Christ. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to, I came in and I heard you guys talking about the uh, ICC ruling from like the, the the international court. And to me, it just seems pointless because obviously they have no jurisdiction. It's obviously just like a scam uh, headed by the Zog. So it's kind of ironic that you see all these people, like not that I really care about Palestinians, other than the fact that what's happening to the Palestinians is, happening to us probably on a more much mass and slower scale uh, perpetrated by the Jews, but crawling back to your master who's causing all the problems and asking for, uh, you know, some type of solution doesn't seem very feasible. Like, what, what do you think? Like, I kind of like think like the whole UN and the, the this international court is just a joke with no jurisdiction. I think that's a cynical view and I don't share it. I think it's meaningful uh, it's not a magic formula. It's not a magic wand, but I think it's meaningful. And I think your interpretation is just too cynical. Okay. I, I, I accept that. I, I, you have more faith in it than I do. I, I, I do not, you know, I, 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 I got that. Especially I, after James ruling. I got, I got that impression. Okay. Thank you. All right. So we got a lot of questions in the chat. So we're going to, we're going to jump. Okay. Let's go to chat. Yeah, let's do that. Okay, um, first question on Cozy. This is from Hot Dogs for Sale. Um, he wants to say, Handsome Truth was in the Sam Parker space and stated on stream yesterday he wanted to ask you. So Sam Parker, great friend of ours. He had us on a, a Twitter space the other day. Everyone should follow him. Um, he's been hosting a lot of interesting uh, talks recently. So this is from Handsome Truth, uh, technically. Um, for you, Dr. Jones. Yeah, for you, Dr. Jones. He wanted to ask you this. Uh, this is the episode to ask it, Nazis and Jews together. Okay. <clears throat> what is more important, the survival of the European race or Catholicism? <laughs> the only way that they so-called, first of all, there is no European race, okay? There are Germans and there are French and there are Italians and there are Poles. There are no European race, okay? And the only way that Europe is going to survive is by returning to the Catholic faith, period. That's it. I read, I'm reading an absolutely brilliant book, okay, called Le Défait d'Occident by Emmanuel Tote. I, I said it in French because you have to read it in French. A, a brilliant book, uh, which I'm going to discuss at a later date, which, and the thesis of this book is the American empire is collapsing uh, because of the collapse of Protestantism. Protestantism evaporated. This is exactly what I've been saying about Scandinavia. This is exactly what I've been saying about Frode Mityord, who has an identity crisis because of the disappearance of the Lutheran church as the state church in Norway. So I'm saying the same thing is true. Listen, this is an old story. Uh, Emmanuel Todt got it from Max Weber. I've already talked about Max Weber uh, in the the, uh, the Baron Medal, the history of capitalism. Uh, but it's it's a it's a brilliant book, uh, and uh, I, I'm going to come up with shortcomings later on. But I think the premise is absolutely sound that the empire, the American empire, was based on Protestantism. 
exactly what it was. Protestantism evaporated after 500 years. These are both true statements, and coming up to the implications of all of them is important, and that's why it's an important book. Beyond that, the it was a looting operation. I've said that many times too. Protestantism was a mistake. I don't want to offend anybody out there. You know, I know you were raised in it. Uh, my first wife was an Episcopalian. That's a joke. Okay. I'm still married to her, but she was an Episcopalian. Okay. I understand that, but it's gone. It's over. And this guy, this Frenchman is smart enough to understand that. That means there's only, it's like, no, no, let's, there's not one alternative. There are a number of alternatives. Let's be honest. You can become a Muslim. Uh, nature abhors a vacuum. Let's take England as an example. The Anglican, the Church of England has evaporated, okay? They have a, you know, I, I don't want to belabor the point. It's evaporated. It's gone. The a nature abhors a vacuum. That means the Englishmen have to have another identity, and it looks as if they have two choices now. You can become a Muslim. A lot of Englishmen are becoming Muslims. I've met some of these people. Or you become, can become a white boy. And I've spoken to the white boy conferences in England. And I'm saying I have a better alternative. Return to the Catholic faith that ruled England for rules whose church contributed to the, to the rule of England for 900 years before the Reformation. That's your true heritage. That's where you belong. And I'm saying the same thing is true of what you're referring to as the European race. There is no European race. This is idiotic. This is a fantasy of the white boy mind here. There are Germans. There were all of these tribes wandering around Europe like my German ancestors who were chasing pigs through the forest. And then they made contact with the Catholic Church and that was what created Europe as an entity that had both unity because it had the Catholic faith and diversity because all of these people kept their languages and they all kept their different cultures. And it was the greatest cultural, let me put it this way, the greatest artistic achievement in ever in the human race. And if you don't believe that, uh, buy my book, The Dangers of Beauty. That's what we have to go back to. So I hope that, I hope handsome uh, understood what I have to say. Okay. On Rumble, uh, Joey Faust, 1973, asks, Dr. Jones, is it safe to say America is a Talmudic plutocracy or is democracy just a modern code word for a Jewish dictatorship? I think that's a good term. Talmudic what plutocracy? Plutocracy. Look, when I was in graduate school, I watched the, the changing of the guard from uh, Protestant literary criticism to Jewish literary criticism under people like Stanley Fish, who was my teacher, and uh, Jacques Derrida, who was at Yale at that time, and their religion, different uh, sects, but it was basically the Talmudic interpretation of literature. And I think that's absolutely true. Now, the interesting thing about this book that I just mentioned, which is an important book, and if you read French, go, go buy it, but basically, it's written by a Jew. And the one thing Jews don't understand is Jews. And so in the middle of this elaborate, long, eloquent French sentence, what word pops up? Les neoconservatives. Les neocons. <laughs> so the Jews have the same disease. I mean, the French have the same disease. They can't. It's not, not quite true. 
but by the end of the book, he does say Juif. So uh, it's there. It's a it's an interesting, really a good book, and it's worth talking about. And I'm going to write about it at length. So subscribe to Culture Wars magazine immediately, and you will get the review of this important book. On Cozy, uh, Colin the Crusader asks, uh, "What do you think about Elon and Shapiro's trip to Auschwitz?" Uh, it's known as offering incense up to idols. This is the this. What's the message here? The most important, the, the richest man on the face of the earth, has to bow down before the Jewish idol known as the Holocaust. That's the whole story in a nutshell. We, you can see Ben Shapiro thumping his chest. I got the richest. You can hear what he's saying when he goes back to the synagogue. I got the richest guy in the world to come to Auschwitz, and they all. Pat him on the back. That's doing a good job, Ben. That's your job. Okay. Uh, from Gemi on Cozy, uh, why would America, who defeated the Nazis, bring their top scientists to create NASA? Because they were the only people who knew how to build rockets. It's that simple. The Americans, the Germans were the cutting edge of technology at that point, and the Americans were smart enough to use it, and they basically... Uh, took all these scientists. The war was ended in a gigantic looting operation. The Russians, the Soviets dismantled every single factory they could get their hands on. And the United States captured uh, people like Werner von Braun. Uh, next we have, where was it? Uh, ah, from Tor's Toxin on uh, Cozy. Uh, I read The Man Behind the Curtain. Uh, this is Dr. Jones' book, FidelityPress.org. Uh, the Dutch psychologist was eye-opening. What causes the rise in homosexuality? Father deprivation. What causes father deprivation? Sexual liberation. Well, who's the behind sexual liberation? The Jews. Okay, it's that simple. You create, uh, you get, so you have to view this from a transgenerational perspective. So the wound in American morality, uh, World War II inflicted a grievous wound on the men of America because of uh, just life as a soldier. It's always bad for morality. So they come back, and then how? who capitalizes on this? Hugh Hefner creates Playboy within uh, eight years of uh, the end of World War II. Uh, and this weakens men. Read that memoir, the review of that memoir about Boomer boomer family. It's in Culture Wars about the woman talking about her father. Her father was a Catholic sociologist and so on and so forth, had five children, and he was weakened in his children, even if it's not in his mind, which it was, but certainly in his children's mind, they thought he was weak because he was looking at young ladies in, play, in the Playboy centerfold. The next generation suffers from weak fathers. That's father deprivation. Weak fathers and then you got dominant mothers to compensate for the weakness of the father, and that leads to homosexuality. From uh, from based Dow on Rumble, uh, do you think that the Orthodox Christians, be it those in the U.S. who are aware of, or the Eastern Orthodox Church specifically as a whole, are in some sense in uh, dereclation of their duties? In dereliction? Dereliction, the, sorry. Dereliction. Yes, are they a dereliction of their duties? What duty? You have to specify the duty. 
I don't know what duty you're talking about. Well, if he's talking about, uh, I'm not entirely sure. If he's talking about Orthodox Christians, it's I'm assuming the fact that they're ethnically detached from their. I'm saying having an ethnic church uh, cripples evangelization. It's that simple. Uh, because in order to become an Orthodox, you have to become a Russian or a, a Serb or Romanian or whatever, a Greek, whatever, whatever the, the ethnic group is. And that's a deterrent to uh, uh, um, evangelization. The Catholic Church does not have this requirement. Okay. You can be a Catholic and, you know, be a, a Kikuyu in in Kenya, and your liturgy is in Kikuyu, you don't have to become another ethnic group to become a Catholic. Now, you can argue, there are people who argue that uh, the missionaries were spreading some type of ethnicity. And uh, if you're saying uh, that, like the Order of Nuns that I know, the Little Sisters of St. Francis in Kenya, they were created by an Irish woman. And was she Irish? Yeah, she was. And did she bring some type of Irish culture? Yeah, she did. Did it did it eclipse uh, Kenyan culture? No, absolutely not. And there there's living proof of this type of thing. There is that is not the issue. Certainly, if anything, the issue is the opposite, where enculturation is going too far, uh, rather than any type of uh, cultural imperialism. If you're talking about Mexico, well. Uh, uh, do you want to, do you think the Aztecs were a better model than the Spaniards? I don't think so. And I think that when you have an antagonism like so, as deep as that, where the native culture is based on cutting the hearts out of other tribes, uh, it's better if you just dispense with it uh, completely, uh, uh, which is pretty much what happened to Mexico until recently. And now you've got this resurgence, probably funded by the CIA of, you know, promoting Aztecs all over again. So no, yes, that's a, a roundabout way of answering your question. So yes, I think they are. If you're talking about evangelization, I think Orthodox churches have a handicap. From Colin the Crusader, uh, what do you think about Ben Shapiro rapping about usury? Ha! <laughs> Yeah, there, there's a line in there that talks something about uh, he stacks his cash using compound interest. Says it quite overtly. Number one on iTunes right now. Uh, I'm saying that if, that's a mistake. If, if you ever confront Ben Shapiro, uh, ask him if he's for or against usury. I will bet you that he will never say he's against usury because that's the source of Jewish power. And Ben Shapiro is a Jewish chauvinist. It's that simple. Um, this, this is... Uh, I think, look, you know what I think? I think this is a result of uh, my conversation with Jason Whitlock. Now, that's probably impossible in terms of time frame, but the ideas are the same. We, uh, I had a conversation with Jason Whitlock where we were starting to have a meeting in the minds. I think he was surprised. If you, think, if you don't think there was a meeting in the minds, watch Jason's face. Just watch his face throughout the whole thing. Anyway, so this is now a classic case of cultural appropriation. What's this Jew doing uh, making rap music? He's co-opting a, a, a form of music that was in many ways a protest against Jewish exploitation of, uh, uh, of the ghetto. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. It's kind of, it, it's opportunistic at best and cultural predation at worst. So leave leave the music alone, Ben. You're just making a fool out of yourself. 
from Catulus. Uh, Dr. Jones, uh, how are your Logos Rising classes with Ellen Finnegan? Uh, how are they doing? Uh, please ask her to sell the recordings. So the you, you course with- is over. It was 14 weeks. Uh, I believe it's 14 weeks, one for each chapter. I thought it was very successful. Uh, I don't think she's going to post it. I think she wants to have these classes uh, private, but you can contact her. Uh, that's her decision. She's the one who organized it. I think it was very successful. It was, from my point of view, terra incognita because I had never taught I have never taught a course online. I think that the Logos Rising lent itself to course because it's kind of abstract and kind of complicated. And I think it was very successful. And I think that's what the way the people felt, took part in it. And are you going to have classes in the future? That's a good question. I'm thinking about it. Good question. There we are. From, uh, from Carlos Arios, uh, I'm saying that incorrectly. I know it. Uh, Mike, could you relay this to Dr. Jones? Uh, could, uh, could Dr. Jones please speak on Max Weber's Protestant work ethic? Yes, I can, and I will, but not now. It's too damn complicated. So go to Barron. It's too complicated for a podcast. What you need to do is go to buy, fidelitypress.org and buy a copy of Baron Metal and read the chapter on Max Weber and Werner Zombart. That's the the crucial figure to understand Max Weber is Werner Zombart. Nobody knows who he is, but I explain why that's the case in Baron Metal. So please buy a copy of that and then come back and we can talk about it after you read it. Okay, Dr. Jones, it's uh, six o'clock. A uh, couple more here. One more question. Um, from Page, Page Chronicles. Did someone yank Jason Whitlock's chain after he <laughs> interviewed the doc? <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm reluctant to talk about this because I had a private conversation with Jason afterwards where we were both uh, frank. Uh, I think that uh, there are plenty of people yanking at Jason's golden chain. Um, he did a, he did a, a response uh, with a bunch of ministers, black ministers, in which he said uh, he was unprepared. And that's true. He was unprepared, but I was unprepared too. I didn't, I'm going to confess to you. I didn't know who Jason Whitlock was. I, I, I have nothing to do with professional sports. Apparently he makes a living commenting on sports. I have no time for professional sports whatsoever. Didn't know who he was. I thought Jason, that's a name of a guy, a nerdy 20 year old who's got a problem with pornography. Well, it turns out I was completely wrong. And so we could, he wanted to talk about libido dominandi. I knew that I wrote the book. Obviously I want to talk about it, but as soon as I see that he's black, I'm thinking, well, maybe I should talk about the black version of libido dominandi. And that means the Harlem Renaissance. And then I started talking about, uh, Marcus Garvey uh, and the NAACP, a Jewish organization that set out to destroy Marcus Garvey. And I think I was, take you if you watch it, look at his face. I think he's nodding in agreement with me. I think this is what upset the chain yankers. I think that's why they got upset. And uh, he pulled it off of uh, YouTube. Uh, I wouldn't have done that, uh, but it's still on Rumble. And it's still, if you go to uh, my E. Michael Jones one on Twitter. You can watch it there too. I think it was a good, it was, it was, uh, we should, we both should have prepared more for that talk. I'd like to have another one. I could tell you more, but I don't want to tell you more because it, it was a private conversation. 
All right. Well, there you have it. Uh, thanks again, everybody. Uh, EMJ Live is every Friday at 5 Eastern Standard Time. Make sure to subscribe to Culture Wars Magazine at culturewars.com if you haven't already. All of Dr. Jones' books can be bought at fidelitypress.org. Telegram, Rumble, Cozy, all that. Follow. I have no announcements. Dr. Jones, last words. Buy a book. We are we you the only way you can take this to the right level is by reading. You can't get around reading the the big the big inf the vector of ideas are books. I'm telling you now, the, the big impression that this book in French made on me, this proves my point. If you want to get your game up to where you're playing in the big leagues, you're gonna to have to start reading books. That's why I wrote these books. So go out and buy a book. Thank you. See you all next week. God bless.